In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hey, Broads and Books listeners. We've got an exciting offer for you. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same prices as you'll find elsewhere, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. And listeners of Broads and Books get three audiobooks for the price of one. To listen, all you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. From there, you check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best local booksellers. We love this deal because we love audiobooks and we love supporting local and indie bookstores. To get your special deal for listening to Broads and Books, go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and enter Broads and Books, all one word. You can find that URL and the special code in this episode's show notes in your podcast player and on our website. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is episode number 63, Nothing Compares to You. Feels like that's how I feel about you, Erin. Nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to you. Yeah. So this song is a little bit tricky because Mm -hmm. the reason I picked it is because this theme is actually about controversy Mm -hmm. or books that have a controversy as the background. Because I was thinking of the famous moment when Mm -hmm. Sinead O'Connor ripped up the picture of the Pope yeah. on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Fight the real enemy. Yes. Mm-hmm. She didn't actually sing this song. <laughs> but I couldn't remember if she did no, or not. No. So you're basically choosing the artist and not necessarily the song. Yeah, but who remembers any who other remembers? song? Who remembers? No. I remember Pope picture, nothing compares to you. That's right. That's about all I remember as well. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I just liked it as the background. I mean, we do read a lot of books whose background is kind of some big historical event. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not the whole point of the book, but, you know. Makes... And yeah, I do remember after that moment, there was a lot of media coverage, Ooh. a lot of controversy. Of course, this was before the Catholic Church had quite a few scandals Mm -hmm, to hit it mm -hmm, um mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. they felt like they had a little bit more power to push back meanwhile she was ahead of her time she was yeah Mm -hmm. and i you know went to a catholic school yes you did you can imagine the outrage at this you know defamation of character on our fearless leader was it talked about at school and behind the pulpit Yeah. yeah i think so yeah which interesting fact i read this week that um they pulled that in time for one of the broadcasts, but SNL refused in some cases to pull it after market, you know, when they re, yeah. um, run episodes, they refused to pull it in certain markets. Like they said, no, that was her statement and we're letting it be. Rightly so. And I was like, wow, yeah, know, that gave me a lot of respect for, yeah, because there's not many shows or 
production companies that would do that. I mean, they pulled it from some, but I, you know, still to to not do it universally is wow, huh? So we're channeling that controversy. Yeah, we're thinking about picks that deal with potentially controversial stuff. Yes. Yeah. So that got me thinking, Erin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of controversy can happen in uh, big news events. They can become big news events. Do you think, just thinking about controversy and sometimes if we're actually thinking of it controversially, do you think we're desensitized to big time news events? I do. I yeah. do. I do now. And, and I particularly mean not even so much because of social media, but more because of the 24 hour news cycle. Yes. Um, when we shifted from actual news into a lot of pundits talking about the news, Jesus. people we didn't have enough media education for people to understand yes. when they're watching the news, which is factual based with no opinion. And when they're watching an opinion and I say that equal opportunity, I'm not just talking about Fox news. I'm not just talking about CNN or MSNBC. Mm-hmm. They, they're all, they're all guilty of that. And so I think that our, our knee jerk reaction in a news event is we want to know the facts. Then we don't want to hear about it again. Mm-hmm. Everybody's just like, no, too much. Don't want to talk about it. Don't yeah. want to hear about it. Um, And we don't a lot of times do the deep digging to actually figure out what's going on. Absolutely. And I think you're right. It's become much more outrage. Like culture, let's get outraged about something. But then five minutes later, let's move on to something else and get pissed Mm -hmm. about it. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I really noticed that recently, you know, it's been a long time since I felt glued to the news as Mm -hmm. much as I did during the pandemic time and still now as it continues. But I also think that I could sense in myself that you sort of have to limit like you have to For say sure. i'm going to listen to this person and this information and then i'm going to step away because it can get to be a lot well this person says this and this you get caught up in it and yeah you start comparing opinions instead of facts and i think we've done a big disservice to ourselves absolutely and i, I feel like it's happening with the protests too that you know i see on social media a lot of people are um, moving on to other topics and then other people are like, no, I know it's tiring. I know it's exhausting yes. to, to be outraged and to be angry, but we can't, you know, mm-hmm. we have to somehow still be sensitized. We still right. have to like take this in. And so you have to protect your time and your energy. And ugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When news became entertainment and became yes. more about getting a sponsor and filling that time, that's when it, things really crossed a line. Mm-hmm. And I am, you know, I'll wear the sweatshirt. America needs journalists every day of my life. <laughs> yeah, because we do. We do. But there needs to be a way for them to be able to share their stories and voice it in a way that people can feel sure that they're getting uh, facts and mm-hmm. a news story and not an off-the-cuff opinion that someone says to someone else at a table. So yeah, yeah, I do think we're a little desensitized. I agree, especially this year. Yes, there's just been a lot. And that kind of, you know, like you mentioned, social media. Do you think that it's easier or harder to spread the word about like a large event or a controversy because of social media now? Well, I think kind of related to what you said, I think it's much easier to spread news, Mm. but it's much harder to discern if that is actually news, how we should feel about it, what the actual facts are around Mm -hmm. this. It's hard to discern where some of this information is coming from and if we should trust that, you know, source. Um, I think, like you said, we have had to try and engage a lot of critical thinking about watching our news and sometimes a lot of us don't have practice in that area we Mm -hmm. don't have the skills that we need to you know figure out if we should be listening to this or if we should agree or you know all that kind of stuff so yeah I think it's much easier to spread things but then maybe figuring out if that's actually a thing to spread harder a lot harder yeah that's a Mm -hmm. great point yeah it makes getting information out a lot easier but is that information always what should be getting Mm -hmm. out and knowing that there's you know things that are often doctored by you know sources that we're not quite sure of just knowing facebook is is very um uh (laughs) questionable at this time you know yeah yeah it's a lot harder wow yeah yeah Ugh. 2020 sucks. It really does. Um, well, thinking about the past yeah. and bad things in the past. Let's bad move things. let's move away from today's bad things okay. and think about the past Perfect. bad things. <laughs> Do you have any uh, you know, vivid memories of what you were doing or where you were when something big, something controversial, something, you know, massive happened? I do. And it's funny, um I specifically remember this and it kind of goes in what we were saying about how 
news has almost become a game of telephone. Like yes. it gets diluted. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in college when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember that I, I hadn't heard anything about it. I went to my first class and it was a professor that uh, I loved his class so much. And he, it was canceled, which was bizarre. He had never canceled before. I had him for other semesters, never once. And I was like, that's weird. Someone outside that room told me that our professor's car had been bombed. And that's what? why, and I was like, what? <laughs> I'm so confused. I'm like, how would they not shut down the campus? Yeah. Like, his car got bombed. He's like, yeah, it's a big deal. It was on the new. I'm like, what? So that guy, I don't know what, where he got. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So we. That guy was living a different day yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. I, something got bombed. Just not a <laughs> professor's car in Iowa. Jesus. Right. So I was walking back to um, the student union for a break in between my classes. And you, yeah, I had this feeling like mm-hmm. something's going on and I don't know. You know, this is pre-cell phone. This is pre-smartphone. So yep. you're not getting alerts. You're, you know. And I walked in and they had a TV. And I saw the live footage of the second people were trying to figure out what's going on in the first tower when the second plane hit the second tower and everybody being like was that a rerun or did that just happen again and that collective i mean i can remember standing there i can remember the people that were on either side of me i have no idea who they are Mm -hmm. you know but just that moment of everything being like what Mm -hmm. and then kind of like what do i do do i go like back yeah. to my it was just I very specifically remember those few steps into the union watching that happen and then just being kind of like oh things just changed seriously for sure yeah I was living in um, Chicago and I was leaving for work and I heard one of my neighbors scream and she came out into the hallway and I think was just looking for anyone to talk to oh, goodness. and she's like they hit the tower they hit the tower and I was like what and you know I I don't meet my neighbors right, so right, I was like right. I don't there's a strange lady screaming at me. I'm going to go back in my apartment just to get away from this. But then I turned on the TV and I saw that as well. And then I called my boyfriend at the time um, who was on one of the buses going to the Sears Tower because that's where he worked. And I was like, something's just happening. Like there's, you know, just, I, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on, but he went to work. I went to work. He went to work, was immediately turned away. Everyone at the Sears Tower was turned away and told go home. Because they didn't know, you right. know, like which they buildings. were multiple. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I ended up going to work and just checking news compulsively until no one was saying anything. So I just left <laughs> at one point. It was yeah. like, I don't I don't feel good here. No. And, yeah. No. Yeah, it was. A, and that is, for me, one of the earliest memories of watching a news cycle be basically yes. 24. I mean, that's really yes. when it changed. They canceled yes. programming. Yes. Somebody was on all the time giving you updates, which is when they started, you know, having to fill that time. They were bringing in people that were speculating and so, you know, so-called experts and things and and replaying the footage over, over and, and over and over. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, that was I can very vividly remember that. I can also remember a few years before that, the Columbine shootings yes. and a, a similar situation mm-hmm. where they were just showing the same footage over and over of those kids like walking out and experts trying to, you know, pretty soon it was with the whole trench coat mafia thing. Like it was just unfounded conspiracy theories being put on the air. Yes. And it was such a strange like this doesn't seem right moment. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. Well, and I remember also thinking that was, I was old enough to know that I need to separate fact from fiction a little mm-hmm. bit. Do you remember the first time um, that you wondered if an adult or a person of authority was actually telling you the truth about something important? I don't know if this was the first time, but I do remember very clearly um, we went to church for a while as kids. And I remember in Sunday school, like I asked, you know, I think I may have told you the story. I asked the adults like, well, if we're supposed to think our story is right and Muslims think their story is right and Jewish think their story is right, how are we supposed to know we're not wrong? And you could tell in the adult's (laughs) head, just like, oh, shit, can't compute. What do I do? (laughs) You could tell she was just like, Jesus, please just strike this child to death right now. Just take it. Take her away. Yeah. And, you know, she ended up saying something like, well, you're just going to have faith. And in my head, I was like, nope, that's not good enough. That's That's no, that's not logic. That's not knowledge based. You're just telling me to shut up because I'm a kid. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was 
one of the major moments where I realized, oh, adults definitely don't have all the answers, especially those that are pretending they do have all the answers. They definitely don't. Mm-hmm. And that was a, that was an awakening. Yeah, that's a tough awakening. And also, I felt pretty good about scrambling that person's brain. You should. Yeah. You should. Because mm-hmm. that is, that's fun. <laughs> I would have liked to see a video of that. Her peer. Me too. I really wish I could too. Because in my, you know, little kid's head, however old I was, I remember even then just knowing like, oh, she doesn't know what she's going to say next. Like, she looks real stumped. <laughs> I have stumped this adult. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I wasn't even trying. I thought it was a legitimate no. question. I thought this was a good one. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Well, so our picks this week yes. deal with some controversial stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my fiction pick is called The Leavers by Lisa Ko mm. from 2017. Have you read this, Erin? No. Okay. Um, so in the book, Deming is a young boy who lives in the Bronx with his mother, Polly, who is, who is an undocumented Chinese immigrant. Mm. He lives with her, with her boyfriend, and his son. And one day, Polly goes to work, and she never comes back. So he's very young at the time. He has no idea what happened. Um, so And he sort of shuttled around to different people, first the boyfriend, then some relatives, until eventually he's adopted by two white professors in upstate New York, and they rename him Daniel. Oh. Yeah. So Daniel slash Deming grows up under the specter of a mother that he thinks left him or maybe died. He has no real answers there with his real with his biological mother and these new parents that you can tell they're they have good intentions. But oh, shit, are they doing it all wrong? Like renaming him, trying to make him assimilate, trying to make him, you know, into the white son they never had pretty much. So as he gets older, the the questions around his mother resurface, and he decides to try and find out what happened. So a lot of the book is told from his perspective, but another part of the book is from Polly herself. And we hear about her childhood in China, her move to the U.S., and the struggles that she faced, and what happened on the day that she disappeared. So I chose it for this theme because I think, you know, sadly, the very issue of immigration can be very controversial. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of an undocumented person having a child and then that child potentially being a citizen is controversial. You know, it's all it's all so politicized. It's so Mm -hmm. controversial. Mm -hmm. And then when we find out from Polly what actually happened that day, that's a highly controversial thing as well. And I won't talk about what happened there. I think another part of this story, though, is controversial, too, and that's that, you know, we might think of Polly, like this kind of mother, as like a selfless mother who sacrifices everything for her child, and that she made all the choices, including living here undocumented, for her child. But when we actually hear from Polly, we see it's much more complicated than that. She has her own dreams, her own desires. She makes some choices that can be very controversial. And I think that is really cool, too, because, you know, if you're a mom that doesn't completely sacrifice herself for your child Mm -hmm. or you haven't fully bought into the idea of motherhood, then you're a bad mother. That's a controversial thing. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I mean, we talked about this before. The expectations Mm -hmm. for motherhood are so ridiculous. But I think potentially in this situation with an immigrant mother, it's so much more. Absolutely. So I really love that she's a fully complex human being and that idea in itself is controversial it is yeah sad to say but yes mm-hmm. it is that so very amazing. i never heard of that very before. rich book very um heartfelt very yeah. heartbreaking in some ways wow well uh the fiction pick that i brought this week is is controversial in a, in a similar way oh um it's called the vanishing half by Britt bennett oh that's the new one right yes yeah so you'll remember i recommended her book mothers which i love that book so much i immediately pre-ordered as soon as I knew she had another book coming out because I think she's a phenomenal author. But this just came out in June um, 2020. Um, And this one is just as good, if not better, than The Mother's Eye. Oh, that's so good, isn't it? Loved it. Yeah. So it follows um, these black twins, Stella and Desiree, who were inseparable growing up. And oddly enough, they live in a southern town that is predominantly black, Mm -hmm. but a certain type of black. They don't like dark-skinned black. Okay. They want lighter-skinned. And they're not afraid to be very um, racist or prejudiced to people that are coming in that look like that. 
Um, it's also a poor area. You know, there's not a huge focus on education. The girls struggle because their father was brutally murdered in front of them by white men. Oh, um, they're boy. being raised by their mother who's struggling. And so at 16, she pulls them out of school and says, you need to go to work. And Stella is devastated because her whole life, she thought she was going to get an education. She wanted to go to school. She had all these plans. Um, and it turns out to just be this grind day and day and day and day out, day in. So they decide to run away. One night after a large town celebration, they leave and um, they decide to just start a life on their own. They're going to get a better job so they can, they, they're, they feel sad for their mom, but they're going to send her back money. And mm-hmm. that's how it starts. Um, and you don't know until a little further in the book exactly what happens, but Stella and Desiree end up becoming separated. Desiree, um, I think, comes home and Stella's gone. She's taken her stuff. She's left a note. I'm sorry, I need to do this on my own. Mm -hmm. And they had always been, they were twins. I mean, they'd always been together. And what we soon find out is that Stella and Desiree were both light-skinned enough that Stella is passing for white. (sighs) So she gets a job with a company that believes she's white. She marries a man who believes she's white. She moves into a neighborhood in the 1960s that believes that she is white. She takes a stand against black people moving into her neighborhood. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, there is, it's so many things going on. And then in the meantime, you have Desiree, who took a different path. She's married. She married a very, very dark-skinned mm-hmm. man and has a child by him and ends up moving back to their hometown with this child who is ostracized because of the color of her skin. Oh, my gosh. So we're watching these two very different stories and then we're watching how they intersect and come apart again and intersect um, because they both end up having daughters and how that plays out. So I picked it for this theme because first, it's a very on point book during a time when everyone should be reading, learning and listening more because this book covers a lot of forms of racism, not just the traditional ones that we like to say, well, I'm not racist because I don't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just the forms that we normally see. It, it makes you really open your view to how many times people make judgments about other people. Um, but how we only really talk about one kind. Yes. And so, so many different things come up in this book. And I think that that's one of the great gifts of this book is that you're kind of forced to confront your own bias or you're forced to look at all of these different situations. As the reader, you're looking through this objective lens, but you're also realizing that you can see, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff happening. I also picked it because this book, um, Part of it takes place during the 1960s, 1968 specifically, when we saw Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated. Then we saw Bobby Kennedy Mm -hmm. assassinated. So we had this very tense time that's very reminiscent of what we're living now. Absolutely, yeah. And for me, that backdrop is really providing this unrest and this kind of... um, pull that the story has that it's pushing you forward because you know all this is going on in the country so you can see all these flashpoints and you can feel the tension that Stella's living with by denying who she is and her uh, where she came from and trying to keep that a secret and trying to keep her family going and you know the struggle of will I have a better life because I did this so is that wrong right I mean did I set you know, so no easy answers, no, mm-hmm. no easy answers, but you'll fall in love with the characters. You want to know what's going on. Um, the way that they come in and out of each other's lives is, I mean, I almost read it in one sitting just because it's wow. so gripping. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. And so many great ideas, themes, everything in this mm-hmm. book. So definitely on point for right now. But even if it wasn't, she's amazing, and you should read her book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have um, you've been on record as a big fan, very eager for this new one. So now that you've finished this new one, are you eager for her to just get yeah, get writing I mean, again? Like, I don't do it. Want to act like I'm going to kidnap her? But <laughs> if she's not in a room writing. I'm disappointed, frankly, because we need it. So. <laughs> Basically, your life now is just just write, just keep writing. Just waiting for a Brit Bennett to release a new book. That's what my life is. <laughs> just a paper chain to a day I don't even know. And she, this is her second book, yes. right? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, I imagine you've read her way through her back catalog. If she had more than the mothers in this mm-hmm. one, yeah, yeah, terrific though, really great. great That's great. so cool though that yeah. you know I know you love the mothers so mm-hmm. much, and to have the second book just as as terrific. And, yeah. and and so relevant right yes. now too yeah yeah and so complex the characters are so complex and what's happening is so complex and there's so many stories but you're you're just invested in all of them you mm-hmm. need to know every single person so yeah 
Can't recommend it enough. Wow. Yes. Okay. So. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, for other genre book, I've yes. got a sort of hybrid thing. Ooh. It's called What We Inherit, A Secret War and a Family's Search for Answers from Jessica Pierce Rotundi. Uh, earlier this year it came out and it came out on a press called unnamed press and we heard about it because they actually contacted us and they said that we we are a press that focuses on you know female stories and feminist stories and we think you know you would love to read this book and i said yes please yeah and so yeah they were absolutely right so this is a memoir and a work of nonfiction and history, and it's woven together in this really cool way. So Jessica, the author, when her mother dies, she finds boxes of letters, declassified CIA reports, and newspaper articles all about her Uncle Jack. And Jack, all she knows about Uncle Jack is that he disappeared in 1972 when his plane vanished over the mountains bordering Vietnam. Okay. So... After her mother dies, she steps into this crazy family history and mystery that she didn't really know much about. Um, she learns that her grandpa, Edwin, uh, was a pilot in World War II, and he crashed in Germany and was a POW for three years. Oh. So when his son, Uncle Jack, disappears, Edwin won't accept the story that the government gives him. He's, he is certain that he's still out there. He's going to find Jack. Oh. Um, he Jessica's mother, um, you know, Jack's sister is equally committed like they they know there is more to this story than what they're being told so what follows is years of pressing the military working with pow camps even going to southeast asia and where they once they get there they learn that jack was part of a cia-led secret bombing campaign in laos which makes getting any clear answers more difficult because we're not acknowledging that we were pretty much a war with Laos. Right. And they won't allow us unless that acknowledgement occurs. So it becomes so, so complex, so oh. hard to find any answers. And so, you know, Grandpa Edwin, he, he kind of dies without finding any answers. And so Jessica digs into this history. And she makes some of her own, too. She retraces her grandpa's path in Southeast Asia. She goes to try and find the crash site to find more about this situation. So I chose it for this theme because the U.S. in Laos was secret and super controversial. And I learned something right away in the book that I'd never learned in any history books, which is between 1964 in 1973, the U.S. dropped 2 million tons of cluster bombs on Laos, which was which calculated to a plane load of bombs every eight minutes, 24 hours a day for nine years. Wow. And so much of this was classified. We still were not taught this. Oh but when in Laos, like this is part of their history, they still have undetonated bombs and mines everywhere. And there's continually, like, you just see the shadow of people that are maimed by these things. This is such a huge part of their history. And so that makes this family trauma so much more potent because they can't get the answers they mm-hmm. need and want. And they can't move on. They can't mourn. So I saw an interview with the author where she says, Americans call the bombing of Laos the secret war. But in Laos, the evidence of it is everywhere. Museums are dedicated to the Lao victory. Bomb craters pock people's front yards. Undetonated American bombs left behind still kill 50 people a year, many of them children. Wow. So I I think, you know, there's so many levels of controversy here. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it really boils down to is a family story and trying to find more out about this deep family mystery and really getting to know her mother more through this, you know, discovering that her mother did so much work going to Paris during the peace accords to try and find someone who can give her answers. I mean, it's a really incredible story. Wow. Amazing. First of all, sounds perfect for you. Oh, yeah. I can't. Oh, yeah. 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 It was right up my alley. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's like, yeah, the, the, the founder of Unnamed Press like saw my soul and was like, hey, you need this. You need this. And I was like, you're right. I do. Mm hmm. So thank you. Also, kill your name on Name Press. Right. Pretty great. I like what you're doing there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the book that I picked, um, it's it's technically a fiction book, but it's it's kind of an alternate genre. So I, I picked it for this because it's a little bit different than a normal fiction novel. Um, and also, it's controversial in my mind because I didn't like it the first time I read it. And then I really liked it oh, the second time I read it. I think I know what this <laughs> yeah. is. Yep. So I uh, picked Weather by mm-hmm. Jenny Offal. Um, this was published in 2020, pretty recently. You might have heard of her. She wrote Department of Speculation. 
and there was a lot of um, excitement about this new book. So I put this in the other genre category because it reads a little bit differently. There's not traditional chapters. It's it's like almost a train of thought narrative, but it's not um, entirely train of thought. I mean, there's a lot of other um, parts in there, but it, it's clever and darkly funny. So the main character, Lizzie Benson, um, is a librarian at a university, a job that she's reminded by one of her colleagues that she got without the proper degree almost daily she's reminded um okay yeah she also answers doomsday emails for a former mentor and professor who has a very active speaking circuit about the end of days and oh. just can't keep up with these emails anymore oh, oh that's so, a bummer yeah we get to see a lot of lizzie's kind of personality maybe a little bit of snarkiness in the responses she writes to the emails um but we follow her through work through her personal life with her son and husband and we, you kind of soon realize that she's sort of in some sort of rut, whether that be like a psychological rut or some kind of emotional rut. There's something there that is um, causing her to not really feel, feel fulfilled or be, you know, at her at her top. So the backdrop of this story and part of why I picked it for controversy is it's the election year. It's the 2016 election. So we have that as controversy. And we also have this growing pressure of the climate crisis and the seeming lack of awareness and understanding that this is soon becoming like a very, very, very pressing issue. And that's becoming more and more evident, too, in some of the doomsday emails. So that's what's strange about this book is you're just sort of following this character. And I think the first time I read it, it almost felt... Like, I just didn't want to watch someone else in a rut or I didn't want to get invested, I guess, in that. And I think that might have been partially the time period, you know, everything that's going on in our Mm -hmm. world where I read it. But when I reread it the second time, I realized that I was picking up on more of the dark humor. I I think I picked up more on what the author was was trying to go for, because there's almost an odd sense of optimism. In the sense that you're not alone in the mm-hmm. feeling of dread and unease that seem to haunt everything right now. And we've talked about that a little bit, how maybe that's one silver lining of the pandemic is that it's allowed people to sort of be more open and say, this yeah. is terrible. Yeah. And so I think the second time I read it, being more willing to like take that on with a character, being in a better place to say, you know what? Yeah, that's how I feel, too. You could appreciate some of the lines, which are just brilliant, and the dark humor, which is great. And it just took on a different feeling for me the second time. But again, at the heart of it is this, you know, world and society that we're living in that it's just at odds with itself. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up because this was pretty recent that... I think you had read it the first time and you told me like, oh, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. And then immediately something made you reread it. Yeah. What was it that you think you that pushed you? I think it was because I did see some of the humor and the lines mm-hmm. the first time. So I didn't want to fully say I didn't like it because I thought God, there's so much in there of that writing that is brilliant. So that's what I was struggling with. Like, do I just not like the character or do I not like the book? Like, I couldn't mm-hmm. really put my finger on what it was I didn't like. So I thought, you know, I'm going to read it just again because it's a it's a short book it's very easy to read in like one sitting especially because it's non-traditional chapters I thought I'm going to read it again and just see if I get the same gut reaction or I feel something different and, I, and I'm glad I did because I, I do think it was just more of a response to like hey I can't handle your turmoil sure. right now yeah yeah well and it was funny because then you messaged me and you're like I just reread it I think it might be brilliant and it was like <laughs> oh okay <laughs> It's like, that's quite a switcheroo. I did. I did switcheroo on that one. A full 180. But it's a good point, like you said, that sometimes like we just can't, maybe we don't like books because of the headspace that we're in. And maybe that's where you were. Yeah. 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 And you and I talked about that. Like Mm -hmm. that happens a lot when people buy books, you know, you buy something and then you think, I'm not going to read this right now. Yeah. Like I, someday I'll. I'll get to it. And mm-hmm. and that's why I never worry. I mean, I have the most ridiculous TBR pile and so many books in my house that I haven't read yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't care because nope. I like to go to the bookshelf and pick what my mood exactly. needs right then. Yeah. You have a library of unread books yes. that you can pick from at your leisure. Exactly. Yes. Whatever speaks to me then. And 
sometimes that's what you need. So, well, there you go. Well, I'm glad you reread it. Yes. And that you found something brilliant. Well, it, that's a pretty uncommon thing, right? That you read something and then immediately reread oh, it. Oh, very uncommon yeah. for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I will reread things I really, really like, but usually not right away. Mm-hmm. I usually don't end it and then start it right again. Sometimes nonfiction, if it's something I'm really trying to process, but even then I might only reread parts of it. Mm-hmm. There, I can't think of the last time I did that with a fiction book. Outside of ones that I love that maybe I reread every year or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, to finish it and then start it again. Yeah. But I think also because it was short, it didn't feel like a huge time commitment to go down if I ended at the same place. But Well, I wonder too, because um, in the last couple months, we've talked to a number of authors uh, about their own reading. And a few of them have said that like they read a book and immediately start rereading it again. Yeah. And in my head, when we would hear that, it'd be like, uh, huh. Like, yeah. I, I sure don't do that. No. Like, I feel like I got to move on to the next thing. Yes. So I wonder if maybe hearing Alex Marzano Lesnovich or Andrea Lawler or somebody say, Yeah. I'm rereading it. And you're yeah. like, huh. I think that, and I just think I'm aware enough now, like, we're enough further along yeah. in the quarantine and pandemic for me to know that there are things about my personality that are a little different right now for sure that things yeah. are not maybe I don't process everything the same way I did before or and that... giving ourselves a little slack yes about that yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah so well I'm glad that uh that you reread it but immediately I, I highly recommend I and I'm not saying you have to read it twice to get it <laughs> you'll probably all get it right away and be like what's wrong with but you, actually Aaron? it may be good knowing it no know, yes. going in that yeah mm-hmm. that if you have that reaction maybe it's where you're at in your head yes and that's absolutely. okay absolutely mm-hmm. mm-hmm. well hey pop culture wise I've got some controversy Woo. <laughs> um it's called the deuce it's a show on HBO mm-hmm. um it had three seasons that ran from 2017 to 2019 it's done Fully done. Okay. Um, each season has eight or nine episodes, I believe. I didn't so, think I realized that they were going to be done. Yeah. It was over. Fully okay. done. And I think they envisioned it that way, or at least oh. at the end of the third season, it felt very much like this was a complete story. Like okay. they tied it all the way around. So the show starts in 1972 in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And one of the main characters is Candy, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, which mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of her. She's great. She is one of many prostitutes on the strip of 42nd called The Deuce. And unlike other sex workers, she doesn't have a pimp, and she finds sort of freedom in danger there. Um, and one day, though, she is exposed to this burgeoning world of sex on film, and she finds she has a passion for it, a way out of an increasingly dangerous world, a way to be an artist mm-hmm. in this new world. There's another main character that is Vince, a bartender who wants more than what he has. And then Frankie, his twin brother, who's a gambling addict, who's into the mob for debt. Mm. So Vince gets his brother out of this jam with the mafia, but proves himself smart and loyal. So one mob guy taps him to run a bar on 42nd Street. Both of these brothers are played by James Franco. So that is season one. Season two jumps ahead five years to 1977 to the world where porn has made it. Like, porn is golden. There's getting awards. Like, it's a huge thing. And then season three is mid-1980s with the specter of gentrification, more drugs, AIDS. It's Mm. decimating the population. So through all the seasons, it's just fascinating stuff. You see government and police corruption you see the violence and criminalization of drugs you see real estate up and downs and how the the start of turning Times square into this sort of disneyland versus what it was at Mm -hmm. the time now why i picked it for this theme is i think the idea of porn especially is inherently controversial Mm -hmm. and that's a huge part of this story a huge part of this show But I think the controversy is often around the wrong things. Like people in courts deem porn as immoral because it involves sex and it shows sex. But they don't seem to care about the women and the girls that are often victimized in the creation of porn Mm -hmm. and all the men making money off of it um, all the way to the government and the police. Like there's this long line of men you can see in this show that's making money from uh, sex work and porn and women are at the bottom and they're not making any money from it. Mm-hmm. I think there's also an element here of controversy in how Hollywood used to work. And I'm sure it still does in mm-hmm. many ways. There's a ton of nudity and sex in the show, but this show did something really cool, partly as a result of the Me Too movement. They hired an intimacy coordinator 
And I saw this article that was written by one of the actresses, and she just did a small guest role on the show. But she wrote a New York Times piece about it and said that in the past on a movie set, the director and the producer might try and bully her into a sex scene, into like, you know, showing more nudity than she had agreed to, like really making her feel like she has to do this or else, you know, she could get the boot. Um, They could make her out as difficult for saying no. But this show hired an intimacy coordinator who then helped that actress and everyone else on set feel comfortable, feel heard and safe, like plan out the sex scenes, sort of choreograph it, like make it so that it's a safe, but also kind of hotter in the in the result. So I think this is kind of a cool story about how the producers and creators saw the controversy around, you know, Harvey Weinstein and all of his ilk. And really recognize some of the sins of the past in Hollywood, but work to make it better and tell a good story about where some of that controversy and corruption comes from. So it all sort of comes together. Oh, that's great. Terrific show. Like, it is so, if you like any element of, you know, historical crime and corruption Mm -hmm. and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just really, really well done. And Maggie Gyllenhaal. Well, and you can't go wrong with that. Her name is Candy. That's, that's. A perfect name. <laughs> <laughs> well, oddly enough, as a, in a ride or die situation, oh, so that many we're of these. In, yeah, mine is also a controversial kind of true crime situation dealing mm-hmm. a little bit with the Me Too movement. Um, I, the pop culture recommendation I'm making this week is called Filthy Rich, and it's a series on Netflix oh. that was released pretty recently. I've been thinking about watching this, but okay, I want to hear what you think. Yes. And it was uh, based on the book by James Patterson, which I actually read in 2016 when it came out. I'm not a huge James Patterson fan, but for some reason, that book, I was interested in the story. And I will tell you that I wish that he stuck to more like nonfiction like that because it was really well done. But I, I will say that I think it's a... Almost, I don't want to say a better way, but ingesting it in the miniseries was just as good. I thought that they did a great job of explaining it. And what I mean by that is that if you think that you know the Jeffrey Epstein story because you paid attention this fall when everything happened and he died in prison, yeah. you know nothing. Mm. He is incredibly wealthy by means that are still ambiguous today. Um, basically has lied since the minute he knew what a lie was. And his pure existence in the world has proven the fact that if you have enough money, you can do whatever you want to do. You bet. Um, if you think that the that some of these people that knew him, that the first time that they heard about his uh, predilection for underage girls or some of the things that were happening, if you think that was the first time, you're insane. He was actually convicted of sex crimes before, mm-hmm. um, but didn't have to serve any time didn't have to follow any of the same rules because he has a lot of money and he gives away a lot of money to exactly the right people. So I was floored this fall because I felt like every time I saw something about him, none of it was the full story. I kept being like, but what about this? But what about this? You're missing this fact. What about this? And it it just wasn't out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so much about him that writers um, had tried to publish before that it got canned, it got, you know, edited, whatever, because he either knew the right person or they were afraid to piss him off or whatever. Um, So I think that this is a great way, even if you know a little bit about the story, it's going to reaffirm some of those details, but it's also going to help you understand how much bigger, broader, and deeper this is. Um, It's going to blow your mind. And I honestly believe at least from reading the book, and maybe it just reinforced it, but I think even if you just watch the series, you're going to be in my conspiracy boat and say that there's <laughs> no way that he committed suicide because mm-hmm. he just knew too many people, and mm-hmm. too many people were so deathly afraid of him saying what he knew about them. Um, all the things you've heard are true. He was friends with Prince Andrew. That is well documented. Um, he rode on planes with Bill Clinton and Kevin Spacey. And I mean, he was in the elite and he was untouchable because of that. And if you have any doubts about that, pay attention to the legal process that he goes through. And you tell me that that sounds like anybody else ever that you've ever heard of going through the legal process. And isn't that so relevant right now when we're yep. talking about criminal justice for an entire like group of people and community mm-hmm. that don't have mm-hmm. the resources that are not rich so they can't get away with even the smallest mm-hmm. of infractions. 
versus mm-hmm. this asshole. I, I'm particularly thinking off the top of my head. Um, our, our president right now saying that he wants people that are going after monuments to spend long time yeah. in jail. Yeah. And I want to... But you're you're fine with the sex trafficker oh, that spent yeah. no time in jail. Because if you don't think he was sex trafficking, just watch oh, the show. Boy. He was. Yeah. And we're talking about hundreds of women. We're not talking about a few. We're not talking about a couple. And all it, kids, like yes. teenagers. And in addition, he made some of them implicit in his crimes so that they face charges oh. because he used them to recruit other That's girls. Cult-like. That's yes. fully cult-like. Yes, and... Ghislaine Maxwell, I don't know where you are, but you need to serve some time too. I remember that name. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot there to dig into and it'll frustrate you and it'll make you upset. And it should be, you know, it's one of those things right now that you should watch that just to remind yourself the disparity that absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, I had looked at it and I wasn't sure if it was going to be like, new information i wasn't sure if it was going to be retreading like because i think both you and i had read a lot about the case Mm -hmm. and heard some podcasts um but now i'll watch it because i want to be pissed off there was just a lot of stuff even just small details that are important that you don't realize you know like how his first sentence went like he works from home he's a self-made guy but when he was convicted the first time he was supposed to send time in prison but they gave him a special pass that he could go to work even though he so they rented a building that he went to every day from prison and he got special to be there extra late because he's so, you know, important. So that, of course, just had like a TV and he got whatever food he wanted. Like he only went to prison to sleep, basically, for a very short amount of time anyway, before he was released and then never had the same. I mean, he broke, violated his probation and things that he was supposed to do so many times. I mean... But nobody ever. Meanwhile, if you're on the bottom of the social scale, if you make just the tiniest mistake, it can have such vast repercussions for your entire life. Yeah. Or if you're a woman accusing someone yes. of rape, you are put through more shit than that guy. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's tough. There's a lot of tough stuff in there. I mean, there's some in-depth interviews with some of the police officers, the detectives that were trying to make a case for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. Um, There's ones that you're going to question why they approach things the way they did. Um, And and some of it, you know, is because of pressure or, Mm -hmm. you know, not being supported. But yeah, it's it's a wild story. It's just wild. How many episodes is it, by the way? Uh, Four. Four. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So pretty quick watch. Yeah. 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 It's not a huge time commitment. And that's why I say that, you know, if you're interested in it, but you don't want to read the book, that this mm-hmm. is a great way to take in the information. Yeah. Um, J- interesting enough, James Patterson was actually his neighbor in Palm Beach, Whoa. which is how this all came to be. Because part and we're of, talking James Patterson, the, the writer, right, the, the like, writer. Yes. Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. That writes like a book a month. Or yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very prolific. Um, he that was part of one of the first things that came in was because there was so much activity at Jeffrey Epstein's house of women coming and going that there started to be these questions. And I think that that's where James Patterson's interest came in. Sure. It. But you know, kudos to him. Cause he was talking about it, reporting on it in 2016 when nobody wow. else was. Yeah. I mean, th- this guy's charges and crimes were a long time ago that he actually even served time for. And who knew about that? I mean, they don't even talk about that. That's the other thing. Is that when Trump then went on to say that, you know, I that was before I knew anything when he made that quote about him, like, oh, he's such a great guy and he really likes young women. Because that's a thing <laughs> to say about someone. And also they're not young women. They are still children and teenagers. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like the whole naming thing, mm-hmm. underage women, it seems to like allow them to get yes. away with some shit. No. Yeah. Exactly. That's still a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's proven by quite a few facts Mm -hmm. in there. I mean, there's no disputing that. There's no like, oh, she told me she was 18. That's not a thing. Nope. Um, Anyway, he, when you see that quote or you think about that and you think about the context, there's no way he didn't know Mm because most people in his life knew that that was, you know, something that was going on. He just was smart enough to get in with the right people, give money to the right things. Get protection Mm -hmm. in that way. And he wasn't afraid to threaten people, so... Yeah. Wow. It's a tough one. Yeah, but that's a good one for Mm -hmm. controversy since, yeah, there Mm -hmm. is that element of wonder around his death. 
I don't wonder. And he got killed. <laughs> he got straight up murdered. Are you going to say who did it on air? Are you going to make a claim? I don't know. Oh, I mean, okay. there there's, could be so many suspects. I yeah. mean, you got a game of Clue. It could yeah. be Colonel Mustard in the library. I mean, everybody had <laughs> I'm going to put money on the queen. The queen just came in and was like, <laughs> I need to rework this narrative. Not a chance. Not a chance. Okay? I wouldn't even let my sister marry a guy. I'm not letting you get away with this. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Queen Elizabeth came over, went into She's the like, prisons. listen, Prince Andrew, I'll kill him. Yeah, but, but... this is what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. You are going to only gonna be step seen away. duck hunting, and you can never be in our family pictures. So... He's like, sold. Yeah. Sold. Yeah. And rip that family crest off your blazer. Oh. Wow. Yeah. That's how I imagine that conversation went. <laughs> I could write the crown. Oh, I mean, come man. on. You could. <laughs> and also, like, coming back to Sinead O'Connor, you know, the, the real enemy. That's him. Yes. Ooh, fight the real enemy. Fight the real enemy. Fight him. Let's do it. Let's fight him. Let's refocus some energy. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, that was, those were our picks for controversy. And yes. guess what? There's no controversy about the fact that we're going to be back next week. Yeah. There's also no controversy about the fact that, you know... We uh, we love doing this for you, and we want to hear your reviews, all yes. your positive reviews. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. We want some positive stuff. Yeah. I mean, you negative, so. I'll probably fight you. Right. It, verbally, but... <laughs> I don't know. Aaron's feeling scrappy these days. I am, but I don't want COVID. Uh, true. So, true. You know. That's the only thing from stopping you mm-hmm. getting into a wrestle. Yeah, because I don't know if you wear a mask. That's true. And there's a lot of assholes. Out I don't know if you mess. know, but the CDC says that's the one tool we have right yep. now. Yep. So no medicine. But guess what? There's Whew. a mask that cuts your risk down. So wear your damn mask. Yeah, do it. That's our that's the end of that our was show. our controversial yeah. statement for the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D, Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.